Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson. Hello, and welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson. As tasty and simple as table salt is on all of our edamame, it can actually wreak havoc on the yields of our soybean crops. Molecular breeding strategies are now enabling higher salt tolerance in soybeans across broader maturities than we've seen in the past. And so what does that mean for farmers and how does salt tolerance in soybeans work? So before we get to that answer, what we'll first talk a little bit about is how big of a problem is excess salt in our soils. There are some estimates that state that as much as 20% of the world's tillable land has yield-limiting levels of salt in them. In the central United States, these areas are typically located across parts of Kansas, Arkansas, Missouri, southern Illinois, and Nebraska. And individual fields or parts of fields elsewhere in the United States can often have high salt content that can yield a limit from salts as well. These are often places where you have a little bit higher of a clay content and maybe that's a little bit longer for the, the water to dry out or it evaporates off, leading, leaving kind of white saltiness around that area. That can actually cause issues for soybean yields. And so if you want to know what levels of salts can cause yield-limiting factors in soybeans, soybeans, they are a moderately salt-tolerant crop, but soil tests above 5 decisiemens per meter will impair seed and grain yields, and if you go above eight, that will severely limit the yield potential of sensitive varieties with soybeans. In some cases, it's even bringing it all the way down to zero. So how do excess salts harm soybean growth, development, and yield? Well, first of all, we have to know which salt are we talking about. At the top of the episode, I stated table salt. So table salt is sodium chloride. If you remember back from high school chemistry, it's your simple one sodium with one chloride ion, in solution, they separate out to form charged particles. So a sodium, which is, has a positive charge, so being a cation, and chloride, which has a negative charge, being an anion, and together they make table salt. So high concentrations of table salt in the soil make it really difficult for the plant to take up water and other nutrients. If you think about it, remember back to osmosis, also from high school chemistry, where Salts and water itself will move from areas of high concentrations down to low concentrations. So that being said, if there are high concentrations of salt outside of the plant's roots, then it's a, it makes it hard for the plant to bring water across the root membrane, the cell walls of the, the membrane, into the plant itself, and therefore make it as though it's difficult for the plant to bring up water, inducing drought-like symptoms. You can think of this a little bit like when you eat too much salt in your diets. So when you eat too much salt in your diet, it can actually cause high blood pressure because in your veins, it's, it's an aqueous solution, so a solution of water with red blood cells and other things. And when you have too much salt, your cells in your body have a hard time bringing the water across their cell, cell membranes because the salt concentration actually inhibits this. Now, this can also cause issues for bringing nutrients and other micronutrients across those membranes as well. So oftentimes in high salt conditions, you'll see soybeans that have other nutrient deficiencies as well. Those really become apparent as you look at the plant. They may be chlorotic, you know, so turning a little bit yellow, and if it gets bad enough, it can actually lead to necrosis. So altogether, these things will actually lead to lower grain yields, and just as importantly, for the processors of those soybeans, it can lead to lower downstream quality of those beans. 
So maybe lower protein content, lower oil content, all of which makes those soybeans a lot less desirable for the farmer and for the processor. So what's happening in those impacted plants? Some discussions within the scientific community go back and forth about what's actually happening in the plants causing the deficit. Is it the sodium cation or the chloride anion that is most harmful to the plants? Most scientists have agreed that it's the chloride anion that has the largest effects. While both can be harmful, the chloride anion itself is the one that most closely correlates with damage in soybeans. So as that chloride accumulates in the roots, stems, and leaves of the plants, it'll cause the yellowing and necrosis under higher concentrations. Plant death is actually observed oftentimes in really sensitive varieties or under extremely high concentrations. Sometimes that can be as high as 18 decisiemens per meter, but we don't often see that in fields that are used for routine agriculture cultivation in the United States. Soybean varieties themselves do differ based on salt concentrations. So you can see some soybeans that are very tolerant to high concentrations of salt, whereas others may be really sensitive to high concentrations of salt. And this comes from a number of different mechanisms within the plant. So if you think about what's actually going on, you remember that those sodium and chloride ions are accumulating within the plant tissue, and so the plant needs to do everything it can to keep those out of the tissues themselves. So some of those tolerance mechanisms may be just a tolerance to the overall accumulation of the salts. It could be the exclusion of the ions from the xylem, so remember the xylem is what takes water and pushes it up through the plant and transports it to, to the shoots and the leaves and the flowers and the, even the pods themselves. So if you exclude it from the xylem, there's nothing to take up and, and get into those additional tissues. Also, there are ways for the plant to transport those ions away from the sensitive plant structures. So take them out of the leaves, out of the flowering parts, and push them elsewhere into the plant where it may be okay for the salt to accumulate at higher concentrations. And then finally, there's exclusions of those ions from the cytoplasm itself. So that's the inside of the cell into vacuoles, which you can picture as, as kind of walled-off containers inside the cell that, that can accumulate different chemicals, compounds, and even salts to keep it away from the important parts of the plant cell. Now, genetically, if you think about soybeans, they can be classified into three different categories. You have your includers, so those are plants that include the chloride in the different tissues across the plants, and those would be your susceptible plants. Varieties can be called mixed, where they have some effect where they may be a little bit more tolerant than fully susceptible plants, but not quite to the degree where they're actively excluding the chloride from the leaves themselves. And then you have your excluders. Those are the plants, the soybean varieties, that are tolerant to higher concentrations of salt and actually exclude the chloride itself from the leaves shoots and different tissues and can therefore tolerate higher levels of salt. Within elite commercial soybeans, most of the tolerance is achieved through one major dominant allele. So an allele is a version of a gene, remember. Dominant means that it masks the effect of the recessive version that may not be quite as active. And so this dominant gene or version of the gene is on the third chromosome and it's really related to sodium transport. It was discovered a number of decades ago and has really been finely mapped into this one particular gene in the, on the third chromosome that can actively transport sodium across membranes and therefore make it actually easier for the plant to move chloride. So it may not be the sodium itself causing the issues, but by making it easier to move the chloride, 
then that helps the plant become more tolerant to higher levels of chlorine or chloride. There are also other minor genes that exist to provide more of a spectrum of tolerance. So there's a large, really important allele that would be on the eighth chromosome of the soybeans that has a pretty big effect, and it can provide a number of different benefits to soybeans, even with that third chromosome allele. And then there are a whole bunch of others that, that just create this whole spectrum of tolerance. So you may be wondering yourself, why do I really care if, if the major allele is on the third chromosome, there's a minor allele on the eighth, there's another on the 18th, maybe the 11th chromosome, chromosome one has something or another on it too. Why does that really matter? Well, that matters because, you know, with today's molecular breeding techniques, using molecular markers to f- identify and select for crosses and uh, individual varieties with those alleles, it's really important that we know how we found them and that they exist and that we can find more. So if we look back a little bit at you know the history of salt tolerance in soybeans, the University of Arkansas has done a ton of work on salt tolerance in soybeans. It's actually been done all over the world, but University of Arkansas has done a great job in characterizing salt tolerant varieties as well as identifying these locuses, spots on the chromosomes, that provide salt tolerance themselves. So if you look back at some of the work they and others have done, you can find one particular variety that's probably been the most important for our understanding of salt tolerance in beans. That would be an old, well-characterized variety called S100. S100 has this chromosome 3 gene that provides salt tolerance in beans, and that has been used extensively in breeding to bring forth all sorts of elite new varieties, particularly in the full season, group five and later, uh, to bring salt tolerance in soybeans. So that third chromosome allele can oftentimes be attributed to S100. It's been used in Lee and all sorts of other public varieties, as well as a lot of the commercial elite varieties that you may know of today. So, you know, if we look at the different soils across the United States, it's really easy to conflate salt tolerance with IDC issues. So IDC and salt tolerance, maybe they cause some similar phenotypes, some yellowing of the plants, they stunt a little bit, they don't grow as well, you get lower yields, but they really are two different issues. And so you can actually have fields that have IDC issues but no salt issues, You can have fields with salt issues, but no IDC issues, and you can have fields with both. So as we're looking at more and more of these new varieties coming to the marketplace across a much broader range of maturities because of the work that's been done by a lot of these universities, such as University of Arkansas, what you'll find is that you may really need an IDC-tolerant variety, but you may get some benefits from some salt tolerance as well. So at RAPSECO, we have one variety that we sell called IS1022E3 that does pretty darn well on on IDC, but it is also a salt-excluding variety. So it will be one of those varieties that may not be the most IDC-tolerant variety out there, but it does have good salt tolerance. So if there's a field with moderate IDC issues and high salts, it'd be the perfect variety. If there aren't much salt issues but really high IDC issues, you may want to consider a different variety. So how do you really choose what the right variety is to plant on your farm? If you suspect you have high salts or excess salts, you really need to take soil tests at different points during the season to determine if you are above or at that five decisiemens per meter. And if you are, you should consider a salt-excluding variety. But if you're somewhere close to there, maybe a little bit below, you know, 
maybe don't worry about it so much. Pick something that has higher yield or different agronomic traits that you're after. Many of the maturities across the United States, especially if the really broad acre maturities, don't necessarily have a whole lot of salt-excluding varieties available yet. That may change over the next 5 to 10 years, but select a variety that has locally adapted traits for your area and look for local testing and characterization to best place those varieties on your farm. If you have high salts and you have the opportunity to plant a salt-excluding variety, it's a great opportunity, but otherwise make sure you pick the right variety for your farm. Be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th of every month for new episodes. And until then, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Huda Media Production.